have to shower. You go into a shower, and I have this beautiful head of hair. I need a lot of water. <laughs> the crowd loves it. Oh, yeah. And you go into the shower, right? You turn on the water, drip, drip, drip. But I'm also approving new dishwashers that give you more water so you can actually wash and rinse your dishes without having to do it ten times. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's what I'm, you know, in the past there's been like soccer moms and uh, and different kind of groups that they come up with, security dads and right. groups. I'm a dishwasher voter. I'm the dishwasher voter. He's scratching me where I is. Shouldn't take two and a half hours to do a load of dishes. Yeah. I'm a dishwasher voter. Yep. Unless another candidate can come along and explain to me how you're going to help me with my dishwasher. He's got my vote. I want water as hot as lava coming out like it's coming from a fire hose. Exactly. I want the finish removed from my dishes every third wash. I think this is kind of interesting. I I want toilets that flush so powerfully, I'm afraid to have little children near them. That's the America I dream of. I thought this was pretty interesting. Joe Scarborough played those clips on Morning Joe on MSNBC this morning, and he and his wife, Mika, hate Trump a lot. Um, but he said, I was home the other day, I had the day off, and he said, I, I had the the volume down, and I'm flipping through the channels, and I saw the Trump rally, and he said, I saw this stuff, and I saw people roaring with laughter, and cheering and excited, and everybody's smiling and having a good time, and he said, I flipped over to our show, and everybody's got a mad look on their face, and everybody's hunched over the desk, and he said, wow, he said, I, I it's going to be tough for any of the people on the debate stage and the kind of hangry, hunched over crowd to beat that happy, enthusiastic, we're having a good time crowd. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting insight. That is a good insight. Yeah. How interesting. Huh. So, listen, the big impeachment headline of, the t- of today, other than Nancy and company did their uh, solemn mock march across the Capitol yesterday to formally deliver the blue folder of death to Mitch McConnell. <laughs> blue folder of death. And disrepute um, is that uh, this uh, Ukrainian mobster who you may have heard about, Lev Parnas, who uh, allegedly was Rudy's right-hand man in Ukraine, is now squawking. And he's going on the various um, left-leaning networks and saying, uh, yeah, the president knew what I was up to, knew what Rudy was up to, uh, Barr knew, and and, and, uh, Mike Pompeo knew, and the rest of it. And and this is being hailed as A, a blockbuster, and B, uh, just the final nail in the, well, that's probably a bad metaphor, um, the final clear argument that we must have uh, witnesses during the Senate, uh, that portion of the impeachment thing. And listen, the counter-argument is, and, and well, there are a couple. Number one, yeah, the president pressured the Ukrainians to investigate the Bidens and held up the aid. We know. We know. Now, what Rudy was up to in Ukraine with his utter lack of judgment and how he decided to execute whatever the president asked him to do, God knows. I think Rudy will be impeached. Can you impeach a lawyer for... Anyway, Rudy's a loose cannon. But the other aspect of this that just makes me crazy is you know there's going to be something like this this week, then next week, and then the week after that. Some this-is-the-blockbuster development that will finally end the Trump presidency. Same stuff we've been hearing from Rachel Maddow 
and Brian Williams and the rest of them since the day Trump got elected. Judge Roberts will have the gavel in his hand. I mean, it'll be like raised up to bring it down saying we're done here. And Adam Schiff will run into the Senate chamber and say, we just discovered a woman who's prepared to testify that Donald Trump murdered her father. And 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 Judge Roberts will halt his gavel and say, "What? Now we get what do we what what what? I just it never ends. You have spent, my friends, Rachel, Brian, ABC, CBS, NBC. God, you have spent your credibility over and over again. You got to take equity out of your house to pay off your credibility equity bill. I mean, it's just yay yay." So, all right, Ukrainian mobster, fine. Go ahead, tell us what you know, and we'll move on with our lives. So we uh, keep not getting to this story, and it's pretty darn interesting. um, That Iran shooting down that plane the other day, you know, in the midst of all the craziness that was going on, they thought a plane was coming in, and somebody overreacted and shot down a passenger plane and killed a whole bunch of innocent people. Terrible tragedy. It is terrible. Yeah. So then uh, Iran first claimed it didn't happen. Then they claimed they, they didn't do it. Somebody else did it, and then they finally, there was enough evidence out there, they said, yeah, we did it. And then they decided to arrest the people that made the mistake, which is weird. Um, now they've arrested the person who filmed the video. You probably saw the video if you watch cable news. There was a pretty decent video of the plane in the air, and then you see a missile or whatever, and then it goes down. Right. Well, whoever took that video has been arrested by Iran. For what? Well, without that video, <clears throat> Internet sleuths wouldn't have anything to force their hand to get them to admit that they were the ones to do it. Yeah, oh, I, because I all the technical that. information that all the Western countries have, because we're tracking everything all the time, practically. Um, I mean, there was overwhelming proof, but now Mr. and Mrs. Global Citizen have overwhelming proof because they've seen it themselves. But still, why do you arrest the guy who took the video? I mean, I understand they're a, 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 a oppressive theocracy, but now that you're out saying, yeah, it was us, it was a mistake, and we lied about it, and we're very, very sorry. I guess just that's the way they do things. How dare you tell the uh, truth? It's believed he'll be face charges related to national security. So, there for leaking you realize, sensitive something or other you, to the outside. You realize this is making you look more crazy, not less crazy. They apparently don't realize that. Well, and and uh, you must keep in mind he will be uh, beaten and tortured and raped in prison most likely as that is those are the tools of the Iranians in their prison system. And you said you heard something interesting about how we figured out it was shot down or how I got Oh yeah, something? you know what? I have that uh, over yonder in my stack of stuff. Uh, just I I find the technical information pretty interesting about how we kept our guys safe on the night of the missile launches, how well we knew what was going on. Um, and then how the international sleuths track down the truth about the plane downing. Yeah, we could get to that at some point this morning. It's, um, I don't know, it's it's cool, it's science. It, it also makes it clear that uh, we live in, you know, a, an age of, of near constant surveillance, and there's very little that's unseen, uh, at least, you know, around countries and population centers. If you're, say, a Malaysian jet pilot, and you just kind of wander 500 miles away from where you're supposed to be. Evidently, you can disappear. But things that erupt out of Iran, oh, we know it. Kid buys one of those model rockets in Iran and decides to set it off. Uh, the United States military is aware of it, from what I'm good uh, being told. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad, too. Um, 
speaking of that sort of thing, what would the uh, worst case scenario look like if we were attacked in a cyber war by either Iran or North Korea or Russia or China or whoever wanted to do it? Worst and, case, starvation. Well, maybe we'll, cannibalism. <laughs> cannibalism. Yeah, that's always your worst case. Animals released from the zoo. Name uh, a worst case. And it's hard to come up with one. Animals uh, streaming out of the zoo, uh, wreaking revenge on those who stared at them. I mean, there, there, there are a hundred possibilities. <laughs> ah, stare at me, huh? Right, right. You've seen that video? You've seen many videos of the lion or the tiger or the 400-pound gorilla running up to the glass where some mm-hmm. little kids got their nose pressed and banging on it, essentially saying, I would so eat you. I would eat you, and I would start with your head. The glass is going to be gone soon, Jack. If you haven't heard the hot Mike Elizabeth Warren Bernie Sanders little dust-up, it's only like 15 seconds long, but if you haven't heard it, you should hear it, because it's pretty funny. And the role the billionaire plays. There's a special guest star. He's going to get an award for a guest star. He's like the crazy, wacky neighbor next door. Yeah. (laughs) Tom Steyer, the billionaire. Well, (laughs) you had your very debate on a crazy, wacky network. Yeah. That's not only just terrible at their jobs, but the fix is in at CNN. It certainly would look that way, among other things, on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it. Now. I don't want to get in the middle. I just want to say hi, Bernie. Yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good, great. Bernie trying to recover his uh, calm after about getting into a slap fight with Elizabeth Warren. So Michael Moore tweeted, felt like a knife in the heart hearing Warren continue malicious lies about Bernie. My sense is. While CNN was unanimous in, boy, Elizabeth just destroyed Bernie on the stage over that issue. I think we all know who's telling the truth here. Um, Yeah, which is weird. Outside of the world of CNN, I don't think people feel that way. I could be wrong. I haven't seen a poll or anything like that. She also has a history of making crap up where he doesn't. I have heard, and listen, I'm not omnipresent nor omniscient. Although, as discussed earlier, I have nerves of steel. Boy, that'd be handy if you were, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, are you kidding? Being omniscient um, would be so handy. Do you need, like, a card to go through airport security if you got the nerves of steel? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I already have to because I got hips of oh, titanium. Right, but, right, right. Um, so, uh, but I have not heard anybody outside of CNN state that, oh, clearly Elizabeth won that exchange. In fact, m- the vast majority of people I've heard talking, left, right, and center, have been saying the opposite. Yeah, Just, good. CNN is yeah, so good. in the tank, but it's not, it's not hard to figure out. I think Tucker Carlson had it right. CNN had to settle a labor dispute with the union for, I think, was it $76 million or 67 It was an astounding money. amount of money. Um, and and Bernie, when the announcement was uh, issued, he'd been pushing on behalf of the union, and he said, this is a great victory for the workers and against unfair labor practices. And old Jeff Zucker at uh, CNN hit the roof that Bernie was openly siding anti-CNN. So, yeah. They decided Zucker handed down the dictate. We're taking him down. On uh, one more thing, I want to mention. Even though I know most of you don't care about this, the uh, race in Iowa. We're just a couple of weeks away. 
What percentage of people say they could still be persuaded to vote differently? 45%. So keep that in mind with any polls you see. Almost half say, but I could change my mind. So, wow. Half. It's completely up in the air. That's good. That is the only thing you can say with certainty about that whole thing. It is completely up in the air. Probably never been this wide open. You know... That's just another example of the media desperate for your eyes and ears misleading you and and misleading me because I've heard so many polls quoted, but they didn't mention that. Once you mention that, the fact that, oh, well, Biden has moved ahead now, 20 to 18. I mean, it's utterly meaningless. There could still be an overwhelming winner. California leads the way to Trump. I think. <laughs> California leads the way in a lot of different things, particularly education. A lot of times what they do, the rest of the country ends up following along for a variety of economic, cultural, etc. reasons. L- leads the way often over a cliff. Yeah. Should <laughs> students be able to take time off from school for mental health? That's the thinking of a couple of lawmakers who've introduced a pair of bills that would allow students from kindergarten to 12th grade to take time off for mental or behavioral health reasons. We need to bring mental health out of the shadows so our children can get the care they need, not penalize districts and families with legitimate health issues. Um, Obviously, that is one of those things that, how do you argue with that? It sounds good. But, man, you could be opening up a can of worms. I don't know how the heck you deal with. I don't feel like going to school today. I'm stressed. I'm stressed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hated school every day of my life. I never wanted to go. Right. And when do you cross over to it? It's a mental health thing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, if there's some sort of standard that's reasonable, uh, you know, I don't hate it. But um, I don't at know. least with the physical health, you can. If you got a kid that's missing a lot, you can start requiring an actual doctor's note, mm-hmm. and at least you know there's some barrier to entry right but with the whole mental health thing uh, finding a therapist who would say yeah jimmy does have anxiety would be no effort whatsoever right um yeah yeah i don't i don't know was i don't ca- know either i really don't was a can of worm some sort of unsolvable paradox <laughs> back in the day how did that become the, the phrase yeah. for some sort of just uh, insurmountable problem <laughs> well the worms as you know are very aggressive and once you've opened the can of worms you you got something to deal with I what mean, is, they go everywhere what does it mean when you say opening a can of worms it means you're you're beginning something that's going to get out of hand i like f- difficult to deal with. i don't like canned worms i like fresh worms oh me too but that's a rich man talking. A lot of people, all they can afford is canned worms. It's going to get out of hand. But so, in which way yeah. did a can of worms ever get out of hand? I, it seems so very controllable to me. They were alive in the can, though? You open the can and then they start to squiggle away? Uh, yeah. I'm I'm assuming so. I mean, I'm not an authority I'm on not, that expression. Or I'm anything, not using but, that expression anymore. Until I have it nailed down completely what it means in its literal sense, well, I, I will not use that expression anymore. Yeah, good. Clearly, Bernie, who actually bought canned worms back in 1933 (laughs) as a 15-year-old, I uh, I, I think the context is all you need to know, right? I mean, what the expression means. You demand the origin story. I won't traffic in it unless I know the origin. In case it's like racist back in the day and nobody knows that anymore. Yeah, okay. But right. the, the mental health school thing, you know, the going back and forth between you don't want to be a hard ass, you don't want to be like a previous eras where they didn't recognize this or that, but you also don't want to become so soft and wishy-washy that you're just a big nothing. <sighs> yeah, I just, the more I read about history, the more I observe through my life, the, the really, really interesting, if you separate yourself from it, 
transitions this country is making for better and worse um, and the reasons for it, the more I think there's just no resisting good times make for soft people. And and you get more and more and more soft and merciful and understanding and nurturing and all until you have an incredibly soft people who are just pushovers for the tough guy who decides I want their stuff. I guarantee now, if you have our nuclear arsenal, it'll take a while. <laughs> I guarantee you, if I had had parents who would who would have said, "Oh, you don't feel like going to school today? Why don't you stay home?" and yeah. and you, you know, I'd have done that all the time. And and as opposed to if you got a mom or dad, and it's often dad who's who's this, this blunt. No, get up, get up. You're going to school. Yeah, but I don't get up. You'll be fine. Because because that's the way life's going to be. Right. When you grow up, so I don't know. I don't know how you find a sweet spot in there. That's why you need a mom and a dad. I, guess. I was I was given one what my mom referred to as diddly squat day. I could use per year. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Well, like company. It's like a spirit day. Your yeah. mom had a spirit day. Yeah. <laughs> if you, you know, just do it. And then every other time, it was always, even if I wasn't feeling well, just go to school. If you're not feeling well, call me and I'll come get you. Hmm. And I, I, I practically never did that. Once you got there, you yeah. were okay. I was, the, the momentum of the day, and I was around sure. my friends, and it all just kind of took over from there. I assume if you uh, you know, had a fever of 105 and were bleeding from every pore, the, the, that oh, didn't count, Of course. Right? It was yeah. when I was clearly yeah. just having a lazy day. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the mental health yeah, thing good. is not bleeding from every pore. It's just I don't, I don't, I don't know the world is so ennui. I have terrible ennui. Oh, no. <laughs> The Armstrong and Getty Show. National security officials are warning that dating apps like Tinder could be sharing information with foreign intelligence officers. Said Tinder users, okay, but how tall are they? (laughs) (laughs) I have that article here. It's funny, I was just looking at it. But yeah, your Tinder, your Grindr, your iCubit, they sell all kinds of information to people. Of course, so does every other app. Right. Just the way of the world. And I had signed up for something the other day. Here's our privacy policy. And I thought, well, I need this product. I'm going to use this product. You probably give away everything, but I don't see what my choices are. So, okay. Yep. That's the way it works. I'm not sure how much time we ought to devote to this because it's so serious. But the conversation via email has continued in really interesting fashion to me. On the question of the servicemen who are dying in Afghanistan right now, what are they dying for? Is it nothing? Is it no good purpose? And uh, and and it's been quite an interesting and respectful exchange, mostly on the email. Um, and I, I want to share some of those with you. I'm not sure if I want to do it right now or next segment. Um, I said if my brother, who has been in uh, war zones a lot. Uh, and or if my son joined up and went over and was in the current situation, I'd think they died for nothing. They what? died for nothing. Joining the military and doing what your country wants you to do is not nothing, obviously. Right. Um, it's not. It's it's no disrespect for the person who did it, but you died for nothing. Your government had read the Afghan papers in the Washington Post. They have no plan. There's no goal. They're doing nothing. Actually, the inspector general just came out and he reaffirmed that, saying there's been remarkable, horrifying dishonesty for a very long time about what's going on in Afghanistan. And we had two more people die the other day. And those who have been dishonest ought to be held to account. 
It's really, and this is our own government saying this. So listen, uh, but I, I want to read you a couple of things that the people said, and and continue a respectful discussion. And I, I'm glad we're doing this because it reminds folks we have people fighting and dying in Afghanistan and Africa and Iraq and all sorts of different places around the world. Dave writes, um, I heard your segment. Sad you think that. What did the cops and firemen die for in the Twin Towers? They didn't save anyone, so is that? So what was the point? What about our troops that died in training or a Humvee wreck or a helicopter plane crash? Was that for nothing? Two soldiers could have been delivering aid or medicine to a village. You don't know what their mission was. He provides some other good examples of great stuff our, our forces do around the world. Americans that join the armed service want to make a difference in a tangible, physical way. They are not changing things by protesting or talking crap behind a mic. They are the doers and the movers. Next time one of our people dies, I hope you jokers get to deliver the news to the parents and relatives that their kid died for nothing. My guess is their loved ones don't think they died for nothing. I'm not sure about that. Dave, I think you've missed our point completely. I think lying politicians sacrifice the lives of our best young people for their convenience. And I think it's disgusting. And you make, you know, some fairly snarky references to being behind a mic, etc. As long as I get this microphone, I'm going to see if I can prevent lying politicians feeding young men and women into a meat grinder so they can get reelected. That's not the point you made, but that's the way we see it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's often seen as an attack on the soldiers. No, it's attack on the politi- an attack on the politicians who sent the soldiers to die with no purpose. Right. That's who the, who's being attacked here. And it's, uh, it's an interesting coincidence. I've been listening to an interview with Max Hastings, wrote a book about Vietnam, and he was on Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. And they're talking about the Vietnam War, and it's a great book about Vietnam if you're into the Vietnam War. And they were having that very discussion about uh, the change that occurred in the United States prior to the Vietnam War. And, and they both believe it's the Vietnam War that brought that around. Why did everything change in the 60s? And they were talking about how you can look, you can look at videos from the 50s or even the early 60s and just the way, just a picture of any people. And then look at a picture from people in 1972. It's like a different planet. I mean, just everything changed. And I'd say that's true between 1965 and 72. Yeah, and 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 and, and their belief is it is the Vietnam War, and it's when we all got cynical about our leaders. Prior to that, and there's all kinds of polls that show this, people believed their president and trusted their president, even if it was the other party that they voted for. Mm -hmm. That's just the way we are. And then after Mm -hmm. Vietnam War, then we started getting cynical and we've gone down the road that we don't believe anybody. And they both, being as involved, uh, Hastings, the author, was a correspondent in Vietnam at the time. And so he was running around seeing what was going on and then reading reports from the government and knowing that's just not true. Right. And they both agree that we're better off being as cynical or at least skeptical as we are now than back when we just believed what everybody told us. Mm -hmm. But the idea that we're just going to accept the government must have a plan. There must be a good plan here. I'm sure it's for a good reason is, is, is not a good not a good idea. And we certainly know that the Afghan papers showed us that. Got this note from Ron, which uh, grasps a few more of the subtleties that we've been talking about, I think, than some of our previous emailers, uh, and concedes that corporations saw an enormous opportunity for profit in Afghanistan, but then says, 
Um, incredibly, this war is being fought by soldiers who believe in a mission. Stop terrorism wherever it rears its ugly head. That is not nothing, Jack. It is everything. Ron having made uh, references to the Twin Towers and Afghanistan and the rest of it. We know those uh, who sacrificed sons and daughters uh, that kept volunteering to go were lied to, but um, they were there to defeat terrorism and do their duty, etc. Again, it's not an attack on them. It's an attack on the politicians who aren't trying to do what you just said. You said that, but the people who sent them there aren't saying that. You can read their conversations in the Washington Post. That's not what they say they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Well, and listen, I would I would counter, and again, it's respectfully because we both care about the troops. You talk to as many Afghan veterans, because we're talking about Afghanistan primarily, as we have, you'll hear from a hell of a lot of these young people, young men almost entirely, who say... No, day to day, I wasn't on a holy mission to defeat terrorism. I was on a holy mission not to die. And me and the guys in my squad were trying to keep each other alive and talked every day about what the F are we doing here. So listen, please don't act like Jack and I are making that up. We came to this you know, opinion of ours, at least in part, in talking to the guys fighting. And then uh, just an excellent email from Michael here, um, which concedes a lot of our points, and he absolutely understands. He says, I understand your frustration with the lack of purpose for America's finest young people being in harm's way. Your concern for them is really the only decent human point of view. Not a single drop of their precious blood should be shed unless there's absolute compelling proof for the need for that in the defense of our country, and I don't see that currently. As a vet, I appreciate that, and I wish that the majority of our country would object to that waste as much as you. And he goes on in that theme, and Michael, we appreciate the kind words very much. But then he makes an interesting point. As a service member, it's an absolute necessity that you believe in your mission without question. If a, if service members are questioning the importance of risking their life for geopolitical purposes, they are not able to operate as professionals in that environment. Doubts about the efficacy of a mission might well condemn the service member next to you to death. Service members have to accept their mission without prejudice and execute it. I would agree with you in principle, in principle Michael, and, and he's a, a vet and the rest of it. But I will tell you again, having spoken to many, many, many people who served in Afghanistan, that is not what they are thinking anymore. They enlisted for maybe the best reasons in the world. Their country ordered them to go to Afghanistan. They obeyed. But day to day... They are exactly what you described. They are people questioning their mission, saying, what the F are we doing here? And uh, I think, given the fact that in our incredible, wonderful system, the fact that civilians control the military and war, allegedly, I think not only is it appropriate, I think it's incumbent on civilians like ourselves to say, stop sending people to their deaths because politicians don't know how to end it. Uh, But we do appreciate people who care enough to drop a note and say, hey, I disagree with you, and this is why. I wish the opposite of what I said was a different conversation about this, but nobody else is talking about it at all. Right. People die in Mm -hmm. Afghanistan, and it barely makes the news. They don't talk about it at all. For whatever reason. Maybe it wouldn't be fair to say nobody cares, because if you ask them about it, they might care. But they don't care enough to be thinking about it. Maybe you blame the media for that. Maybe you blame the government for that. But anyway, again, thank you for the respectful exchange of views. I have a note on impeachment, impeachment believe it or not, I'd like to make with the uh, the, the, the hot, hot headlines. With the uh, I've been calling them Ukrainian mobsters. They're actually Russian-born 
mobsters who operate in the Ukraine uh, who are coming forward to say, uh, yeah, the president knew what was going on with pressuring the government, et cetera, et cetera. Why would you listen to a bunch of them lying their whole lives, Russian, Russian mobsters about this? Well, you know, it's funny. It's the same thing that prosecutors deal with all the time. Uh, we needed somebody to turn on the drug dealers. And you know who we got? A drug dealer, because that's the only guy who can. That's the argument. But these witnesses are problematic, to say the least. But I am going to offer what I believe to be the world's strangest defense of a president in impeachment history. Okay. Andrew Johnson's drunk next-door neighbor says a solid guy. This is going to be a way stranger defense, but I think it's persuasive. And I have the origin of opening a can of worms. So we'll oh. finally put that to yeah, rest. Yeah, good. Oh, thank you, Bernie. Oh, Bernie. Oh, Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think you called me a liar on national TV. What? I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it. I don't want to get in the middle. I just want to say hi, Bernie. Yeah, good. Okay. Don't say anything. Steyer's listening. The more I listen to that, she set that up in such a way. You called me a liar on national TV. If you were looking at the way that unfolded, if anybody called anybody a liar, it was clearly her calling him a liar. And CNN. Well, or at least it was just obviously mutual. But the idea that he called her a liar. Right, and he was the bad guy. Is just weird. And she said that right next to a microphone. I mean, her voice is almost as clear as if she were on mic to make an announcement. Yes. She knew exactly what she was doing. Yeah. And they didn't have lavalier mics on, did they? The little clippy to you mics? Or did they? I don't believe so. I, I think they were me, all podium Yeah, it looked like okay. the podium mic to me. And she, yeah, okay. th- that's the reason I say this. She stopped, like, right here with her face, like, right next to the microphone. Oh. You called me a liar on national TV. She knew what she was doing. And I think, so Bernie's had some problems in his campaign. Remember that, that story burbled up that there were dudes on the campaign oh. not treating women right or whatever. Yeah, a couple had of harassers things, here Had to there, fire yeah. some people. Yeah. I think she thinks, as Mark Halpern told us yesterday, she's desperate. He's rising, she's caving, same audience. Yeah. Uh, she's desperate. I think she thinks she can get a, a, a narrative going that he's anti-woman, his campaign's anti-woman. That's just what he is. Well, and because it's all about college-educated suburban women right? who who generally have unrealistic, well, some have unrealistic views of how the world actually works. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's, she's trying to get all the women. Anyway, yeah. the funniest part of that, obviously, is billionaire Tom Steyer walking up and saying, I, I don't want to get in the middle of this, but yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie says, and Tom Steyer was asked about that afterwards. They were having a conversation, and, you know, I really wasn't listening. I really was just there to say, wow, great to see you. I'm out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. God, you're a heaping bowl of charisma. These billionaires often strike me as, how did you become a billionaire? I mean, you got to, to get to get a billion dollars. You either have to have the greatest idea in the world, like Bill Gates, mm-hmm. or just be just a dynamo of something. You would yeah. think. Yeah. And some of these people come off as just. 
You can't imagine doing anything. Well, I diversified early, and I just kind of let <laughs> right. it run. And yeah, maybe they have great technical expertise. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Jack and I disagree a little bit on one impeachment point. Um, Jack believes more than I do that the whole. Uh, I think it's a witch hunt. The uh, the the uh, Trump sending Rudy off to find dirt on. Uh, Biden and pressuring the new president of uh, Ukraine. Actually, it turns out that he'd he'd actually tried to get the old president of Ukraine to to investigate the Bidens too. And there are some who claim it's all about 2020 to get personal political advantage, and uh, that the Russian mobster who's now on Rachel Maddow every night is saying that's what's going on there. Um, and I'm telling you, and this is the world's strangest defense. Trump is the anti. Uh, Churchill, and that Trump does stop to bark at or throw rocks at every dog that barks at him, to paraphrase something Churchill said back in the day. Um, President Trump is a counterpuncher, as his press secretary put it recently. But I, I did a little digging, and here are, this is the year 2019 alone, Trump's most ridiculous feuds. Now, Keeping in mind, Joe Biden for years has been saying really terrible stuff about Donald J, about how he's unqualified, he's uh, he's not smart enough, he's corrupt. He's I want to beat him up behind the gym. I, exactly. I mean, they have been going at each other bitterly for years, and and Biden has been hinting that yeah, he did collude with Russia. So Biden has been riding Trump's ass for a long time. Okay. That may not make everything that happened right, but it does change the narrative a little bit. When you consider that in 2019 alone, Trump had a feud with Robert De Niro, who was saying all sorts of bad things at Trump at the Tony Awards. Trump called the iconic star a very low IQ individual. Uh, I truly believe he may be punch drunk. Wake up, punchy. De Niro called Trump a nasty little biatch and a petulant little punk. Let's move along, shall we, to Trump versus Arnold Schwarzenegger. Trump joked at the White House event that the former governor was dead after he replaced Trump on The Apprentice. In response, Schwarzenegger noted he is still alive, (laughs) invited him to compare tax returns, and they went back and forth and back and forth. Trump versus Bill Maher. Marr said on real time that none of the eight patients in the, in the shooting hospital in El Paso tragedy would meet with Trump. Isn't that something? Turned out not to be true. Trump said so many lies. They went back and forth for a while. Trump versus Deborah Messing. This is the sitting hmm. president of the United States getting into Twitter wars with people. The Will and Grace star uh, said uh, something about uh, we don't want to work. Oh, you need to release uh, Republican uh, donors' names so the rest of us can be clear about who we don't want to work with. Trump returned fire, saying times have changed, blah, blah, blah. He goes back and forth with both of those stars of the show. Trump versus Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, the celebrity couple. You know, the particulars are not that interesting, but uh, they went back and forth for a while. Trump versus Taylor Swift. Mm. Not a joke. With her accusing, not a joke. With her accusing Trump of gaslighting the American public, uh, on and on it went. Uh, Trump commented, "Taylor's music, I like it about twenty five percent less now." Okay, which is kind of a funny thing to say. <laughs> right, I remember that. That was hilarious. <laughs> Trump versus Chris Wallace, who's a mm. news guy, not a celebrity. Not to mention all of Trump's other ongoing wars with with uh, all sorts of reporters, from Jim Acosta on down. 
And well, every one of these ends up being a story for a cup of coffee, though, an afternoon or a day. And yeah. Trump feels like that's a winning the news cycle. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I don't find it that shocking that after Biden called for Trump to be investigated for the 430th time and Trump's talking to Sean Hannity and Hannity saying Trump and his, his boy Hunter are so crooked, you can't believe it in Ukraine. It does not shock me that Trump would say, give me the Ukrainian president on the phone. I'm going to tell him to investigate these scumbags. I, these are odd times, and he's an odd guy, but well, you I think the... Trump supporters would agree with me and say, yeah, we know, and the and the call to Ukraine was dumb, and he shouldn't have done it. We know. Let's all vote in November. Well, you opened a can of worms there. What oh, boy. Does, what does that mean? The exact origin of the phrase is not completely known. We were looking into this a, a while back, if you weren't listening. General, so it's not really known where that comes from. But general consensus traces it back to the 50s in the United States and literal cans of worms. Fishermen used to buy sealed metal cans of earthworms as opposed to the plastic containers that you have today. After arriving at their fishing spot, they would set the metal can down and open it. What was inside was alive, and if the top was left open for too long or the can was tipped over, well, your biggest problem would be no longer catching the fish. It would be catching your bait that's wriggling away and trying to get them back in the can. Yeah, there you go. You've opened up a new set of problems. Okay, because they weren't resealable plastic cans. You, you use the can opener, you open the, the lid, and, but and the oxy- worms said, thank God, oxygen. Were worms faster back then? This, oh, this yeah. seems like a very solvable problem. <laughs> they were tougher, Sean. Not, they were not millennial worms. I do think I could get them back in the can. They've beaten back the nuts.